Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 235. For the 10th of March, 2016, I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm back in lovely Vancouver from the RSA conference. And this week, uh, co-hosting with me is my friend and colleague, Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. I'm glad you got back safe and sound from San Francisco. I am as well. Uh, as usual, we had the, uh, the morning fog rain delay on the way home. So what do you have for us this week? that tickled your fancy in the security news? Well, I guess I start with the security story that wasn't. I saw a story talking about how Lollipop had bypassed KitKat as now the most popular Android distribution with uh, just over 36% of total devices running Lollipop. But what struck me more was that over 78% of uh, the entire Android device population is either unpatchable or is not currently patched. And that's even more concerning because even of those Lollipop devices, um, you know, nearly half of them are running 5.0 Lollipop, which I think hasn't been supported in well over a year. We've spoken about this very many times before on the chat chat, haven't we? When Apple pushes out an update, they hit a pretty much hit a 50% acceptance rate within what, a few days typically, because they've got a comparatively small number of different devices to support. People like to go for the latest and greatest because there are usually some new features. They're getting used to the idea that it's good for security as well. But in Android, even if people had that sort of spirit, the uh, the letter of Android would often not let them do it. Well, yeah, and that that's not, you know, even considering the, you know, almost 3% of handsets still on Android versions 2, which I think go back to the early, early days of Android. Uh, many people may know of them as gingerbread devices or Froyo. Yeah, and that percentage is higher than the, the latest version, which is Marshmallow version 6. And it's been out for six months, and it's at 2.3%. Even if you've got Windows Vista, you may have missed some of the security enhancements that have come into the later operating systems, but you can still get regular as clockwork, those monthly Vista updates. It's still officially supported, and you can get them regardless of what device you've got, what laptop you have, which vendor you bought it from. With Android, you could have a recent device, but it won't be up to date. You could have an old device that might be getting updates, or you could have a device that's a couple of years old and you're not really sure where in the spectrum you fit. There's not really much you can advise anybody about how they'd be at the cutting edge. And in very many cases, they can't be. Well, you know, one thing you can do, of course, is run the free Sophos Mobile Security. And uh, and I don't just mean that as a, a pitch here, because I was visiting my family a couple of weeks ago, and my father has a an Android device that's uh, a few versions back, even though it's only a little more than a year old, but it not being a Nexus device, the manufacturer has already abandoned it. And uh, he had he had several malware detections on his phone from Sophos Mobile Security. So whether he got those through a vulnerability or whether he was tricked into trying to sideload an app or something, I, I didn't really get to the bottom of it. But I mean, I was pleased to see the product actually works. And if you are running one of these devices where you can't necessarily always get the latest uh, Marshmallow build, then that's one one strategy uh, other than buying a new handset every six months. Yes, and even if you follow our recommendation, which is stick to the Play Store if you can, because you will reduce your risk, you still don't reduce it to zero, do you? In fact, our colleague Roland gave that paper at the RSA conference about just how much effort the crooks will put into trying to, to, to try to do an end run around the precautions that Google used to try and stop unscrupulous applications from making it through their vetting process. 
Yeah, if folks are interested in Roland's talk, you can download it from the RSA Conference website. If you search for Roland uh, on the uh, speakers page, you can click on his photo and it will take you to uh, his talk, which you can get as a PDF. So uh, you wrote a story for Naked Security about uh, a pretty big headline this week, which was the Key Ranger malware, uh, which is a ransomware Trojan for Mac OS X. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't be laughing, Chester. I'm not laughing because, hey, Mac users get their comeuppance at last. Uh, and by the way, Windows users do not be smug about Mac ransomware appearing. An injury to one is an injury to all. I guess the good news here is that when I read through all the details myself, I kind of felt like whoever's behind it was sort of dipping their toe in the water. In this case, they had trojanized the transmission BitTorrent client, which I myself use to download Linux distributions uh, quite regularly. It's actually a, one of the default uh, uh, BitTorrent clients built into a lot of Linux distros. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's all that common on OS X to use transmission. Uh, not that there's anything wrong. with Well, actually, there is something wrong with it. Why don't you tell us what's wrong with it? It's a, a similar story, I guess, to what happened to the, the chaps at Linux Mint, uh, the, you know, the distro where their website got hacked. So when you click the download button, you went to the wrong place. This seems to have been a little worse. In other words, the crooks were actually able to upload to the main site a Trojanized app. And they made one tiny change in the app itself, which is one single function they added that extracted an innocent sounding file that a, a standalone file that had been added to the app uh, called general.rtf. So it sounds like it might be some, you know, a, a text document you can open that gives you advice or something like that. In fact, it's a misnamed Mac binary. And so when you lo load the transmission app, it loads as normal. There's this tiny little extra shim, if you like, that extracts this file that's pretending to be an RTF and that's the malware and it runs it under an equally innocent sounding name uh, that it sticks under your user's library folder uh, which is kernel underscore service and that is the ransomware it waits for 72 hours and then it goes exactly through the rigmarole that windows malware does downloads a, an encryption key scrambles your files and then says that will be one bitcoin thank you well, let's hope this uh, isn't uh, a sign of things to come. I mean, uh, five or six years ago, we saw the uh, early fake antivirus programs popping up first, of course, on Windows. But then they had quite a run at the Mac, and, you know, leading Apple to eventually come out with X-Protect. And, uh, and then as they moved away from that scam into the police ransomware scams, we kind of saw it disappear on OS X. But, you know, uh, let's hope just for Mac users' sake, this goes away uh, as, as gracefully as uh, fake AV did. Yes, and just remember, as always, backup is your friend. Whether it's ransomware that scrambled the file and then wants money, or it's you who've deleted or overwritten or changed the file, oh dear, in a giant blunder, a backup is a very, very convenient way of recovering from disasters of that sort without having to scramble around typing stuff back in or paying crooks money that you do not wish to part with. Thanks for the reminder, Duck. I, I will stop at my safe deposit box at my financial institution on the way home from work this afternoon and, and uh, refresh those backups. Well, moving along, the, there was another um, rather potentially serious bug reported to Facebook's bug bounty program. And I wanted to talk about it primarily for two, I think, really positive reasons. Uh, one, I, I thought that uh, it did demonstrate uh, how these things can be done well. I mean, the bug bounty program is intended to reward people for finding 
any kind of flaw. But of course, the more serious the flaw, usually the higher the amount of money you pay out to the researcher who discovers it. Um, and I thought this researcher conducted uh, himself quite well in, in not uh, abusing the power that he could have uh, uh, gained through exploitation of the vulnerability he found. But I also found it an interesting example of what we need to do to do security right, which is we need to think about how to use things in ways they weren't meant to be used. Basically, he he was uh, looking into the Facebook's password reset system where you can get an email or an SMS sent to your uh, email address or your phone that has a, a one of those magic six-digit, now you can reset your password codes. And in this case, he found that after about 10 tries or a certain amount of time, Facebook just went, sorry, and lock you out. And then he figured, okay, they've done the right thing, but I wonder if there are any experimental or test or public but not yet fully released sites which have exactly the same sort of reset code in them where the rate limiting doesn't apply. And very quickly he found that they that there was a beta site. It obviously shared exactly the same password reset code, exactly the same six-digit principle, no rate limiting, or at least rate limiting that was insufficient to prevent him quickly trying all one million password resets. And bless his heart, he did the reset on his own account. He didn't go for someone else's to get some screenshots that proved how clever he was. He simply proved that it was possible, told Facebook, and immediately they fixed it. So in the end, no harm and indeed quite a lot of good was done. So as you say, that's the way to do it. Let's look for a flaw. There isn't one. Maybe there's another part of the system where this flaw might exist and somebody forgot to close the door. The last story I wanted to cover, I think uh, our colleague JZ wrote up regarding uh, new ways to spoof the fingerprint reader on some uh, smart devices. And in, in this case, I think it involved some uh, special paper and magnetic ink, but it's not even a three to you, know, like you don't even need to make a mold. I think the, the, the CCC guys a couple years back when the iPhone 6 launched, uh, you know, actually like molded a fake finger from somebody's fingerprint. Uh, now we've moved on to just printing them. Yes, the, the CCC attack, they've got a, f a photo of the finger, printed it with very, very heavy toner usage on a laser printer, which makes what you might call a two and a half dimensional mold. Then they put wood glue in it and peeled it out. So they've now got a copy of your fingerprint. You then lick the fingerprint. So there's a bit of saliva, and, which is like having the sweat and, and conductive stuff that you'd have on your finger and you're in. In this case, you just uh, print directly and you print using some kind of silver-coloured, special silver-coloured ink, which it turns out is conductive. <laughs> and that creates a two-dimensional image that nevertheless obviously has the right kind of changes in capacitance or whatever it is um, that makes the thing, the, the, the changes in silver and paper, silver paper, silver paper, behave like the actual uh, ridges and valleys on your finger. As you say, very much simpler to do. You just need essentially a photograph of somebody's finger. And um, <laughs> from that, you could directly, without any molding and, and positive negative work, uh, get something which will work their fingerprint reader. Yeah, it's a little concerning. I mean, uh, obviously, one of the problems with biometrics is you only have one set of them, whether you're taking a picture of your iris or your retina or your fingerprint or uh, facial recognition, all these things. Hey, it's just like an iPhone, Chester. After 10 failures, <laughs> uh, five on each hand, after 10 failures, you're locked out forever. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't use the little finger on my left hand very much. So maybe if I cut it off and just put it on my keychain, uh, I could still use it for biometric authentication, but I wouldn't have to worry about leaving my fingerprint around. Yes, I think you might find some problems with conductivity. So what you'd need to do is take several good high-res photos first uh, in case your cut-off finger stops working and you need to print out a replacement, a backup finger. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great way to conclude this chat-chat. Uh, I did notice that uh, the Register had a story up uh, promoting our SOS webcast series. Do you want to let everybody know what that's about? I think we're, we're doing those next week, right? Monday to Friday next week the 14th to 18th of March. Each day, we're running a half-hour webinar, which is kind of going to be like a live interview-style podcast where I'll be interviewing a different Sophos expert each day. You, of course, will be one of them on the Friday. Our friend and colleague, John Shy will be on the Wednesday. We also have our global head of IT security and a bunch of other experts talking about everything from social engineering how you can avoid it in your company, avoid getting fished, avoid getting tricked into people giving away passwords, up to the Friday, your presentation, which is going to be about the Internet of Things, how you can put your toe in the water without giving away the keys to the castle by mistake because the device wasn't very secure. If you go to Naked Security and just search for SOS, you'll find a link to the page where you can go and register for free for those webinars. We would love to have you. And on that note, I will conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 235. As always, the latest security news is over at nakedsecurity.sofas.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes, in our RSS feed, in the TuneIn app, and soon to be the Google Play Store. And until next time, stay secure.